This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. Welcome to The Every Lawyer, a Canadian Bar Association podcast. I'm your host, Marlise Silver-Sweeney. We always love our guests on The Every Lawyer, but today I'm particularly excited to have a phone chat with Vivine Salmon. She's the new Canadian Bar Association president and the first person of color to take the role. She's also the second in-house counsel in 123 years of the CBA to be president. So yes, she's shattering a lot of glass. Vivian's day job is vice president and country manager of global banking and markets compliance at Bank of America Merrill Lynch in Toronto. But it's not her legal skills we're focusing on. Instead, we're chatting all about the communication skills she's honed at the role. Specifically, why she thinks intergenerational dialogue between lawyers is crucial to developing the profession. It's this theme and others she'll be exploring on her own podcast series, Conversations with the President. Vivian, thank you so much for being here today with us. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm really excited to talk uh, with you about your podcast series and your goals for the CBA this year. Uh, And I want to start at the beginning. And the beginning is you graduating from the University of Ottawa's law school in 2009, being called to the bar in 2010, which is right in the height of the financial crisis. And this is where you're starting your podcast series. I I hear that your first episode is called After the Crash, and I wanted to ask, can you tell me a bit about the way the global recession changed the legal profession? What's different and why? You were on the front lines of this. Well, I think a a lot of things changed since that period of time. Um, Obviously, it impacted me directly as well as other lawyers, I would say, of my vintage and probably after, I would say. And there's um, little pittering, pattering that there will be potentially another recession happening soon. So um, I think for a lot of younger people coming out at that time, um, many, I think, had very concrete goals of the area of law that they wanted to practice in, of the way that they saw their career moving forward. But I think just out of sheer practicality, you either needed to find work or whatever firm that you were articling in or a young associate at the time, you essentially are doing work that the that is keeping the firm busy. So if the firm doesn't is not booming in that area, then there's not a lot of ways for you to cut your teeth in that area, especially during a recession. So I think that impacted um, many young people as they started out their legal career. And I think that once those decisions are made, I think they really have far-reaching long-term impacts on your career. And for some people, I think that's positive because it goes in an unexpected um, area or direction that they never thought they'd be in, but they find mm-hmm. where they landed very satisfying. And I think for other others on the other side, um, it was a little bit more traumatic where they felt that they were never quite landed where they thought or wanted to be. Right. So what you're saying is that the lack of selection during the articling experience um, in the time of the economic downturn meant that people had less choice into their career path. And that once you make those choices at a junior level, they're quite enduring. 
Yes, absolutely. And of course, also within that, I think it was a period of generally legal disruption that I think a period that continues up to now and I'm sure will continue far into the future. And there's many legal disruptors that have been very innovative and in taking, um, taking, I would say, um, an area in that space in terms of developing new products and new ways of doing services and businesses and the legal profession that have been very positive. Um, but I think with any disruption, there's always the pro side that works really well. And then there's always those on the other side um, that it doesn't work so well for. And I think right. in general, I think um, it's a question of adapting and whether that's a firm or a, a company or a corporation that's able to adapt to the changes or whether that's um, the legal profession itself in terms of legal education, in terms of um, lawyers themselves, how they adapt to a changing world, which isn't going to go back to the world it was before. So I think right. that's something that I would like to explore this year through the, the podcast series. And hopefully we'll have interesting discussions with a lot of legal leaders and talking about those issues and others that impact the profession. Yeah, what fascinating topics, innovation in the law and how that was precipitated by the recession as well. I wanted to go back to my first question, actually, because your answer was really intriguing to me. And it's something I graduated around the same time as you, actually, a year later. And I didn't think of my career in the same terms as you just put it, but I think it's really accurate, right? You're almost pigeonholed into the fields that survive a recession. Can you tell me a bit about your own career and how that played out for you? Because you have a really interesting uh, legal background. Yes. Well, before I went to law school, I worked for the government of Ontario in communications. It was a role that I loved. Um, I was exposed to the policy world, um, drafted speech speeches, um, communications plans, all those, all those things. And something that I loved writing, but I also knew that it, law was something I was interested as, in as well. And I felt that time was ticking. I, Looking back, I would have liked to probably go to law school right after I had um, graduated from undergraduate, but I came from a working class family who had three kids, including my two older brothers that couldn't afford for all of us to um, go to professional school. And my brother had done his MBA at Ivy. And so all of that would be difficult. So anyways, to make a long story short, I took about four years off then working for the government of Ontario, um, essentially earning money that when I did go to law school, that I would be able to be in a financially better position than I would if I didn't make that choice. Um, so I think that um, those were great learning years for me in terms of not only understanding policy and those issues, but also just hard skills and, and, and people skills and all those things. And so when I came to the University of Ottawa, I think to some degree I was open-minded about my career. But at the time I thought, oh, I definitely would like to go back to a career working as a Crown or in the government of Ontario. But other opportunities came my way. And um, in looking back, I think I was maybe more on the positive side where I think um, given those years, I was probably maybe able to see the bigger picture and also to mm. um, be a risk taker in my own career and not necessarily feel that the well-trodden path was the only path to a successful career in law. 
Um, right. So, but it's different for everyone, I think. But for me, I think um, so far, I think the risk that I took um, maybe did pay off. Okay, and it's a, it's a hard thing. You know, I think a lot of people who go into law, and this is myself included, are risk averse, um, or at least very strong at calculating risk, and it's hard to take risk in law. So that's, you know, it's a brave thing, but that's interesting advice for people that are listening who are maybe at the more beginning stages of their career and are also getting ready to weather a recession. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> um, I think... I think maybe even if you were a risk taker at the beginning of law school, I think by the right. end, you're slightly <laughs> less so of a risk taker. Um, I think so too. <laughs> yeah. But then I also see the many of our peers and our colleagues who have started these incredible businesses, whether they're law firms or other um, tech, legal tech firms. And to me, I think those truly are the, the risk takers in, in the profession. Um, others like me, I think we take smaller risk um, on a, a different scale. But I think in general, yes, we are a risk adverse um, profession. But that, I think, is um, not always positive because I think it um, prevents us from making real changes in the profession, changes that are needed, whether that be talking about wellness or diversity, where there's little steps being taken. But because of this, the general, maybe conservative, risk-adverse nature of the profession, we're sometimes our, our worst enemies in terms of um, not being able to be more event- innovative and generally the wider changes in society get forced on us rather than the law profession having more control over how many of these changes happen um, within the legal profession. Right. What excellent insight. Our risk-averseness is actually stunting us from instilling change where we need to instill it, like in diversity and gender inclusion. Um, I want to go back to your podcast because one of your goals was to spark an intergenerational dialogue. And I just thought that was such an excellent goal. And I know that when I was a junior lawyer, I learned so much. I was so grateful for more senior members of the profession who – <clears throat> taught me the skills and, you know, both hard and soft skills that I needed. Why do you think it's so important for the profession to have this intergenerational dialogue? Well, I think I think both generations, and I'm going to use that term widely because I know generations can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. But in gen- in the widest sense of the term, I think that senior lawyers have weathered many storms They've had highs and lows in their career. They can see the big picture. Um, They can look back on their own career and see things that maybe if they could do it again, they would do it differently. And on the other side, I think that a a lot of younger people um, are looking to them for direction, looking to them um, to be inspired, looking to them how they can do things differently. I think um, a lot of younger people, and again, not to overly generalize, but just by the nature of how they've grown up, they're very comfortable with technology. Um, It's an integral part of their life. And I think that's something that each generation could learn from the other. I think with younger people, they're also more in touch with the way they feel and and their maybe their goals outside of law and those are seen as very important and that those should not be subsumed to the legal profession. So I think even conversations that we're having about how do you be a healthy lawyer, 
um, putting health and wellness first, talking about um, not leaving others behind and talking about a truly inclusive profession where everybody truly belongs in the profession. I think a lot of young people have a lot to say and perhaps are a little bit more comfortable about talking about tough conversations that the legal profession has to have. So I see it as a respectful dialogue between both and trying to understand each other better, trying to leverage the differences, trying to leverage the similarities that together the profession can move a little bit faster on big issues that um, impact everybody in the profession. So those issues, I think, for example, health and wellness, diversity, we've had a lot of legal leaders move that forward. But I think even more exposure is really important. And even with specifically with um, the healthy lawyers and talking about mental health, those kind of issues, you know, for a long time, those kind of issues were just not talked about in the profession. It was like toughen up. If you're if you're not tough, how 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 can you survive this tough profession where it demands so much of you, both intellectually and physically? Um, but it's also understanding that at what cost is, is is that really the way we want to structure the profession? And I feel like young people can have a, a strong voice in talking about how they want the profession to be shaped for the future and how that profession impacts the very clients that we're providing services to. So whether that's corporate services or services that impact access to justice, how can they be at their best but have a a whole life themselves? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to being a fly on the wall in those conversations, otherwise known as a podcast listener. But it sounds like you have a lot of really pressing topics, actually, to talk uh, to the different generations and spark those conversations. I'm really looking forward to those podcast episodes. Well, I hope they'll be great. Um, And and, 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 and (laughs) I I think we have some really great speakers coming up that I hope will have a lot to say. And and obviously not just talking in a vacuum, but um, concrete solutions that we can work on together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk to you about an initiative that I know is dear to you, and that is the National Young Lawyers Conference. It's coming up uh, in June of next year, so June 5th, 2020 in Toronto. Will you tell me a bit more about this initiative and why it's so important to you? Well, I was a chair of Young Lawyers myself in Ontario, Um, And I had come up through that stream in the Ontario Bar Association volunteering for other committees, international law, um, business, many other committees um, and and task force in the Ontario Bar Association. Um, But specifically with coming up with this idea, I just felt that we needed to profile young people. And I felt, while not a young lawyer myself anymore, I still felt close to the issues and I still keenly remembered how I felt and things that impacted me and how in some ways I thought, why are we keeping doing the same thing and nothing changes in the sense that each generation is just kept, the expectation is just buck up and be tough again. And so I just thought it would be a great point to end the year being the theme of my year is um, intergenerational and young lawyers to end the year Mm -hmm. in a way with a big bang (laughs) and bringing these (laughs) intergenerational um, topic together, but also bringing the people together. It's perfect timing. 
and mm -hmm. um, the topics um, go really well together. We're hoping that we can get um, a very diverse panel of speakers um, coming from different genders, different ethnicities. Um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get a Supreme Court of Canada justice or two. No pressure. Um, yeah. pressure. Yeah, you said it, right? <laughs> I said it. I said it. Um, as well as, you know, as well as other very um, innovative legal firms that we have here in Toronto um, and who are national firms as well as other corporations as well that are very innovative across the country. So the hope is it will be uh, a national conference. Um, when I was at the um, International Bar Association in Korea um, in September, I also had invited um, some of our peers around the world in England and Wales and as well as um, the American Bar Association if um, when the time comes, if hopefully some of their, their young lawyers and senior practitioners can come and support and see, see what we're doing in terms of innovation in Canada. That's amazing. And sorry, I don't, um, I just want to be really clear to our listeners. So it's the National Young Lawyers Conference yes. and the theme is innovation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What, what great topics, especially as a young lawyer, maybe a young lawyer that's heading into a recession, what an important topic to address and to think about. You've said in an interview before that being the first racialized president of the CBA is daunting. What are your goals for this year for the position? There's so many. <laughs> and, and, and really, um, I feel even within my year, I feel like, how am I going to have time to do all these things in one year? Um, well, last year we started with um, doing the the Racialized Leadership Boot Camp. And so I chaired that conference here and that was held here in Toronto and was um, highly, highly successful. Um Really, it was overwhelming the response that we had received for that um, that that boot camp, that conference. Tell me a bit about that boot camp. I don't I don't know that everyone is aware of what it is and what it meant. Well, it was a, it was a, a leadership conference that we held here in Toronto. Um, that was a national conference, and it was aimed at racialized um, racialized young people, young lawyers in the profession, and. Um, having amazing speakers to hopefully spark um, dialogue, to develop hard skills in terms of um, how they can develop skills to navigate a world which is not always welcoming for them in terms of the legal profession and navigating their way to the top. So it was it was a conference um, aimed at sparking um, building strong strong leadership skills. And not aimed at um, blaming somebody for not having certain skills, but understanding that it's a complex, um, there's complex social factors that impact how people develop their careers within the profession. So um, that was held, like I said, in Toronto, and it was very highly successful. So coming off that success, I thought hmm, the next step would be then to have a, a conference that takes that conference to the next level in terms of developing these leadership skills, but having that for senior lawyers, 10 years of call or more, who have um, have a lot of skills, whether social skills or hard skills, but are having a, a challenge taking their career to the next level. Um, so that will be spearheaded by Julia Shindoy, who is a very accomplished lawyer in Toronto, um, a racialized person herself, and who will 
spearhead that in it will be December 5th and that will be held at the Ontario um, the Ontario Bar Association facilities. Um, I wanted to know what you would tell other young female racialized lawyers who are interested in assuming a legal leadership role like you have. Well, I guess there's so many things. That's such a huge question. I well, know. I'm throwing the hard ones at you right now. I'm sorry. They, I'm ending ending with the hard ones. Well, I, I guess I guess the the biggest thing is is to just put your toe in the water, like just jump in, right? Because I just think not just racialized women, but I think women in general. So many times, no one is pushing you in the back, pushing you along, or guiding you, right? But you know you right, you yeah. are capable of doing it, but you always have these self doubts in your head, right? But I just think there's so many talented female lawyers that I've met, that I look up to, that I see coming up after, and racialized women within within that body of women. I would just say, in general, whether it's talking about gender or racialized. Um, women specifically or racialized people in general, um, not to not to be afraid to do things, um, to put, to work hard. Obviously, you need to work hard. But I think when you work hard, I think opportunities will open to you that you don't see. And I think it's also when they open to you, um, see that it's an opportunity and not close the door because it's not on your your you know your th- three year plan, but um, being able to I think deviate off that plan to take some risk I think, um, and you know like any profession is tough. Um, there's issues that obviously impact you more specifically as a, a racialized woman, um, but I think that I think that it's not doesn't have to be like a bar to um, providing you not being able to achieve things that you want in life. Yes, maybe the road might be more windy. There's definitely going to be other challenges that other groups don't have to face. Um, But I think in the long term, I think just looking at more senior lawyers ahead of me, I think it's um, also perseverance. And when things kind of get you down, um, you know, like that old cliche, don't, don't let it get you down. (laughs) Just get back up and, um, you know, keep going. That's what I think. Okay. So to revert to the cliches, dip your toe in the water and get back on the bike. (laughs) Yes. As simple as that. (laughs) As simple as that. Okay. My last question for you, and it relates back to your background, um, uh, in communications. And I understand that both teamwork and communication skills are particularly important as your role, um, in your role as in-house counsel. You're only the second in-house counsel ever to be president of the Canadian Bar Association. I find that really, really shocking uh, and interesting. How do you think that this perspective, so teamwork, communication skills, how do you think that those will benefit the CBA this year? Well, of course, Fred Heaton was the first. um, And so he definitely paved the way for me, that's for sure. Um, but I definitely think in-house bring a special skill. Um, and I think it is definitely communication simply by where you work. I think you have to, there's not the same, I would say, hierarchy in a corporation necessarily than there is in a firm. And so I think that can benefit you greatly because I just think you're you're highly skilled at talking to people at every level of the organization and knowing how to communicate 
and in a way I would say speak different languages. I also think just by the nature of being in-house, you're a lot of times you're working on teams with um, other professionals who are not necessarily the same legal background as you. And so right. I think that also brings a strength as well, um, working that way in that capacity. Um, generally, too, I think I think in-house um, corporate counsel, they have ex- excellent governance skills, just, again, by the nature of the work they do. And they bring very, I think, very strong finance and policy skills. Right. And we finally have one, uh, two in 123 years. So um, I'm really excited to watch what you do this year and see you accomplish your goals. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us today about them. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak to me. What a privilege it is to chat with Vivine about her goals for the Canadian Bar Association this year. I'd love to hear what you think about intergenerational dialogue and the other topics we explored in the episode today. Tweet to us at CBA underscore news or you can reach me at my handle at SS. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes and leave us a review if you like what you hear. Vivian's podcast, Conversations with the President, will start in November. In the first episode, she's covering how the law firm of 2019 has changed from the law firm of 2007. Thanks for listening.